Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7 say, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Hello, welcome back to Think This Way, the podcast of Faith Bible Church. I'm Bryce Beal, one of the pastor elders here. And today I have the genuine honor of having a pastor from Westwood Church with us. This is Dave Terrell. Dave, thanks for being here. Glad to be here. Thanks, Bryce. Dave, before we jump into our topic for today, I just wanted to get a little background for our listeners. Who are you? Where'd you come from? How did you get into pastoral ministry? How did you end up at Westwood? Uh, lots of questions that could take an hour. Uh, we'll do the we'll do the quick version first. So, uh, born and raised in Calgary, Canada, uh, Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Parents are immigrants from Spain. They ended up there. Uh, received my call to ministry at a very young age. I was ten. We were at a uh, free Presbyterian church in Calgary, Alberta, and they had a guest speaker. Um, and then uh, the Lord just kind of used different people along the way to remind me of that call and then opened doors for me to come to school uh, down here in the U.S. And so um, that's a, another conversation. Uh, but met my wife down here uh, in the U.S. I, I came down and started studying um, in the uh, Bible program, uh, Christian University here uh, in the U.S. And then uh, we got married. I went to seminary, got my seminary degree. Um, God just parked me for a season. Uh, he was uh, really just showing me that the call giver is more important than the call. And uh, they were starting to compete when you give so much time uh, to preparing for ministry, uh, but just growing in my love for him and my satisfaction and and resting in him um, with whatever he would desire of me to do. And that was, you know, obviously it's a life lesson, right? We don't, we don't get it down and then we're good. Um, and then I did some pastoral work. My wife and I went up to uh, Toronto. Yeah, I did some uh, church planting up there and transitioned that church to a local pastor and came back stateside, and I was looking for a place to serve. And I uh, had my resume out different places, and I got a call from the chair of my elder board and said, hey, we'd like to do a phone interview. We're from Evansville, Indiana. Uh, can we start with that? When are you available? I said, I'd love to do it. Got off the phone and looked up Evansville, Indiana. I had no idea where it was. So now I know where it is, and I don't know where the rest of the things are in Indiana. So As you there's were... a Brazil. There's a Brazil in Indiana. Yeah, That's there amazing. is. There is. I mean, very much. And you had mentioned on your way in today how you saw a Salt Life bumper sticker out here in our parking yeah. lot. We're wondering who that was and talking about your appreciation of the beach. And our secretary yeah. mentioned how she loved the mountains. And yeah. here we are in Evansville. <laughs> yeah, and we're flat and a nice brown river. So uh, we're definitely here for the people and not for definitely. the... Uh, for the will of God. The, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Well, Dave, thanks for being here. Sort of, I felt myself at least your companion before I even knew you, only because we've had being like-minded churches in town. We've had so many people. I'm talking to someone. We're like-minded. Where do you go to church? It's usually Westwood. <laughs> we'll have people come over here. We'll have people go over there. Yeah. I've got really good friends who go to Westwood. So I've really appreciated your ministry. Even before I knew even who you were, I really did appreciate it. So That's God's mercy. I'm glad that we have you today as well, because we're talking about God in the Old Testament. This quarter, we were focusing on God himself 
And this is a big part of this. Two-thirds of our Bible is God presenting himself to us in the Old Testament. I just wanted to get started by asking you, Dave, do you remember some of your earliest experiences with God in the Old Testament? And what were some of your thoughts then? So uh, as a kid, I remember reading and enjoying, uh, you know, a lot of the the stories, David and Goliath type stories. Um, I enjoyed uh, the Psalms. They really, uh, they really helped me. The wisdom literature, Proverbs was really helpful. It was short snippets as a young man who just wanted to play sports. I needed something fast. The Lord takes us where we are. And uh, where I really started to sense um, and have that have the Old Testament start to weigh on me and lay on me was when I was actually in college. And I uh, was mature enough to ask some questions that actually were in the text inherently, uh, but I just wasn't thinking about them when I was a young man. And so some of these passages that, uh, uh, that are in the Old Testament, uh, just in the notes that you've given, you have here a, a section on Hosea regarding Deuteronomy, where cities are absolutely destroyed and everything that's alive is going to be destroyed. And then Hosea, the statement about uh, uh, you know this, this horrible experience that Israel was going to have uh, to the point where pregnant women were being ripped open. So those kinds of passages really started to just, whoa, what, what, is, what is going on here? Um, and so I started asking more questions. Um, and they weren't questions to actually try and escape uh, what was being communicated. I really did want to understand. And um, I think we can ask questions to try and shut down conversation. We can also ask questions to try and figure out, okay, how do I get my mind around something so heavy and so big as this? And along the way, as I've continued to ask that question, because I'm growing in the Lord, I'm not home yet. So uh, I've looked for help in different places of people who've actually been able to answer this in a way that seems more tenable, or maybe not necessarily more tenable, but it was clearer from them for my mind. And a couple of those things are uh, in how, number one, we read the Old Testament um, and what we're anticipating from the Old Testament. So for instance, we have to remember that the Old Testament is a historical document, and so it's going to report information, and the way that it actually tells us whether or not this was actually a good or a bad thing is based upon how the author records the outcome. And so that's very helpful, actually, because it does show us, um, for instance, with these particular passages, that before any of this kind of violence took place, there was so much evil that was being perpetrated throughout that time, and uh, the extent of it is actually pretty pretty amazing in God's mercy and just kind of waiting um, and sending people, hey, this is a problem, this is a problem. Uh, The other part that uh, I think sticks out to me as we're looking at the Old Testament um, that kind of helps is to understand that God has, uh, and we've talked about it, God works through decrees. um, And within that construct of decrees that God has ordered and created a certain social structure in society that he wants displayed. And so when people do not fulfill the things for which they were designed and called to do, we can't implicate God on those particular things. And so that's another aspect of reading the Old Testament that we need to keep in mind is, for instance, when uh, Ezekiel with the watchman, if the watchman does not do his job, guess what? A lot of people die. But then God holds the watchman accountable for not accomplishing his his job. Uh, He holds him accountable as if he had committed the crime. We can implicate God for things we should have done when God really has already prepared a way for society to function a certain way. We can't hold God accountable for that. 
Uh, I think the other thing to understand as well is when we're dealing with the concept of God, the Old Testament has to inform or it does inform our perspective as to what that looks like. Uh, God is always displayed as the one who has the power and the authority to do what is in his mind and heart to do. And the fact that we're here displays something of the nature of God, that he is merciful. Because we read the Old Testament, we're like, man, I'm really not that different. Our societies aren't that different. And I think it's more fear when we read the Old Testament in our context. Because we actually resonate more with those societies as we get further away from the beauty of who God is. And the fear drives us to say we can't have that. It's the suppression of truth and unrighteousness in Romans 1. We don't want that. We don't want that God. We don't. If, if he's gone and out of the way, then we don't have to deal with it. Uh, but it's there. And so as we're reading the Old Testament, one of those things that we have to keep in mind is that there is, there is this historical document that's being presented. But the biggest thing uh, with this is what God is doing generally in the Scriptures. And that is he's preparing us for something, for someone that we can talk about more as you'd like to. So No, no that's, that's great. You know, a lot of what you're talking about here, which is excellent, has to do with the sovereignty of God that we spoke of a few podcast episodes ago, and especially the wisdom of God seems to get down to the essence of some of this. Like what you said is there are things in the Old Testament that we're uncomfortable with, and here we are. We know that God has these decrees. We know that God is in control. We know God can prevent things that happen. We know God's involved in some way. So then when we read things like this passage in Hosea 13, here you have, like it says, their little ones will be dashed in pieces, their pregnant women ripped open. And honestly, that's difficult for me even to read. So part of our difficulty in the Old Testament is knowing God's in control. Why do you let that happen? And that kind of gets us more into a question of God's sovereignty in life itself. Why do bad things happen anywhere? You mentioned to me before we were recording how in the Old Testament, very often something terrible will be presented and God doesn't comment on it to tell you, and this is terrible. <laughs> you just know because you're reading it. And sometimes my wife tells me like, I wish there's a footnote, you know, <laughs> to tell Absolutely. you that Abraham shouldn't have done that with Hagar. You know, yeah. that was not good. Yeah. So that may be true, but some of those are matters of trusting God's wisdom and wrestling through sovereignty. Others of them are like this other thing that you pointed out, which really is just centered around the conquest of Canaan. Mm-hmm this holy war, Mm -hmm. and living in the 21st century after 9-11, and we know what Islamic holy war can look like, and you think, and this is in my Old Testament, like, Mm -hmm. how do I deal with this? And in those cases, this does get more to what you talked about before as the historical context of what's going on, that this is not the 21st century that we're reading about here, and God's control, and God's right, and so forth. But maybe you could comment a little on that for us. Here you have a holy war, and someone's reading the Old Testament, they're reading Joshua, and God's telling them, go in and don't leave anything alive. Haram, devoted all to destruction. You've mentioned that we overlook often God's patience leading up to that. It didn't just, boom, it happened. How else would you help someone who's wrestling with God's ordering men, women, children be killed in that Old Testament context? Yeah, that's a good question. And so, you know, we have talked a little bit about, as you, as you mentioned, um, God allowing us to experience basically the, the effects of our sin. Uh, so he removes his, his, uh, his watch care over a particular group of people, as is the passage in Hosea. It's not that he's mandating the tearing open of women that are pregnant, but the implications of God removing his authoritative control over a situation because we have sinned 
allows man to fulfill the darkness that's really in his soul. Consequence, Hosea passage. Uh, but with respect with the holy war, for instance, I think we still can't remove that from the mercy and the patience of God, because that's a very specific region. Um, so for instance, we think back to World War II, and we think about what the Allied forces did with the carpet bombings of Germany. Not every German person was hip-hip-hooray about Hitler, uh, nor were they excited about the war that had begun. They found themselves in a country that was the enemy of the world. So how will we function? But the allies, in order to kind of crush that commitment to Nazism and all that was entailed in that particular philosophy, they just, in order to try to defeat them, started bombing, carpet bombing the entire village, uh, villages that are there. And to this day, I mean, you can hear of towns in Germany actually being evacuated as they try to detonate a World War II ordinance that actually didn't go off. So I, I raise that because man is different. We kill everybody when we're on the just war cause, quote unquote. God actually had very specific places that he demanded be challenged because of their sin. And we're not talking about, you know, these people, they were unkind in their treatment towards other people. They, these are people that sacrificed their children to gods and committed all sorts of atrocities. Historically, and even, even uh, extra-biblical material displays some of these things as we start to build up art of, you know, artifacts from that time period and different kinds of things. There was an evil present in these societies that had finally come to a place where God's like, enough, I, I don't want any more of this. And we recognize that even in our societies. There are times when we step in and whatever the cost is, that can't happen anymore. So there's a couple things that I raised with that particular point. One is that we want to implicate God, but then we won't implicate ourselves. Uh, and if we implicate God, then we have to actually look back at ourselves and say, well, wait a second, that wasn't a wrong thing to do. Like it was right to engage with Germany because they were being evil in how they were just advancing in this mission of destroying and, um, you know, just, just brutalizing and destroying people, especially the, uh, the ethnic Jews. Uh, so it was right actually to go there. It was right to kill those people that were in the way of that justice. Uh, and to not have actually confronted that would have been wrong. It would be the same thing with the Lord. And so I think another question, for instance, is how can God be a loving God and still call for these kinds of things? And we can turn that question around and say, okay, what is it to mean to be a true loving person? And so if someone, for instance, as a father, breaks into my home, and I know that there is evil intent by this person, perhaps I recognize the person as being someone who's already listed on America's Most Wanted, you know, and there are violent criminals who have done all these different kinds of things. I know by virtue of those things, what this man's intent is. And so a loving father says, I'm going to do what I can to defeat you and get you out of my house. And if it means killing you, I will, because you are, you are threatening the life of my family, the well-being of my family. A father who is not loving runs away. What we see with the Lord in the Old Testament is a God who's engaged in society, and we hate it. Because if God's engaged, I'm accountable. 
And inherent in every human being is the knowledge that I think that person or that society may have had it wrong. But if I implicate them on those things, then what about me and my stuff? And so there, there is this, this sense of responsibility that comes uh, to the Lord as we read the Old Testament. Uh, but there's also this sense of weight with respect to uh, what it is that I'm saying about myself then. So I'm, I'm raising these issues because I, I, what I'm hoping to do is take away a little bit of the angst of, um, or the pushback that all these things are evil. You know, like there are some people that are still going to reject it. Um, there are still some things in the scripture that are very hard to understand, to comprehend, to get our arms around. But we can at least see that there is a path that is a safe path to walk on as we deal with the being such as God. It's very important because he's not like us. And uh, the, the greatest quality of this reality is seen in the fact that God actually has skin in the game, if we can put it that way. The intent of the entire Old Testament is not to give us these stories uh, just to fill our minds with how God interacted with creation or society in that time, but to prepare us to show us how God in his patience led us to a place where we finally get to Jesus. Uh, Jesus said of himself, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so to lose the Old Testament and to lose or to reject the Old Testament because we don't like the God that's there ends up actually hurting us in the New Testament because there's something that Jesus wants to do in displaying really the character and nature of the Father through his life. And his life ultimately ends up in sacrifice. John 3.16, probably one of the most famous passages in the New Testament that would still be known today. It doesn't say, for Jesus so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he sent his Son. This is God's plan, his intention from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, all the way through until Jesus Christ rose again to provide a means to deliver us from the kind of life that we see in the Old Testament. The Old Testament does provide us a sense of, whoa, this is, this is how God actually interacts with what he sees as evil and wickedness. And if he has the power and the authority to do that, how do I get out from that? Jesus. Jesus is the one who took the wrath of God for us to really deal with those sinful issues that actually lend us towards these kinds of actions as we're seeing displayed in the Old Testament. A lot of what I hear you saying, and the cross is a great illustration of this, is again this question of wisdom. When you bring up World War II, you're talking about acts that in themselves we would consider evil. So if I were to say, should I kill the person who lives next door? Everyone would say, no, <laughs> that would be a very bad idea. Right. What if that person breaks in and tries to harm my family? Then we would consider someone within their right and maybe even their obligation before God that they defend their family and it may result in them killing this person. If you just look at the action itself, by itself, with no other considerations, you say, you're a monster. Mm -hmm. How could you kill your neighbor? Mm -hmm. Or if you're going in a just war, kill someone else. How could you do that? But if you look at all the other considerations, the consequences that come afterward, who this person is, what their intentions are, if you look at everything around it, then although this one action in normal circumstances mm -hmm. would be evil, a holy war in normal circumstances, Islam, or someone decides to go plunder, take over, in normal circumstances it's evil, but we weren't in the Old Testament talking about normal circumstances. Mm -hmm. We're talking about very specific purpose of God, very evil activity of the native Canaanites, and like you said, even purposes later on. And of course, I appreciate you bringing in the cross, because that, for me, 
in wrestling with some of these things. You read a hard passage of the Old Testament and you're tempted to think, is God bad? Because if just looking at it, whoa, that's bad. That's normally bad. But as soon as you get to the cross, what you said, God has skin in the game. You can't think, whatever you think of God, that he's just at a distance. Oh, yeah, kill them. I don't care. Kill them. Mm-hmm. Not whatsoever. There's his own beloved son, one with himself in the Godhead, and he's crushing him for the sins of the world. And the Old Testament, that's one of its many purposes. So if we can acknowledge that God's ways are higher than our ways, it will not answer Every piece of the Old Testament for us, the end of Judges, they're cutting up that concubine and sending her around. Mm -hmm. It's not going to answer for us everything that happens, but it's going to give us the humility to simply say, God could have purposes that justify this I'm not aware of. Dave, I really appreciate you being on this today with us. Thank you. You had great things to say here. And someone listening to this before they listen to it, it's very possible they may have been avoiding that two-thirds of their Bible because of its its discomfort levels encountering some hard things in the Old Testament. It may be that they have simply tolerated the God that they find there or tried to avoid him altogether. You may have thought that way in the past, but may God give you the grace and all of us the grace as we continue growing now to think this way.